right. Waffles and worship. Who's going? I'm going to waffles and worship. Thank God for creative ideas. The Bakers had a really creative one back when I was a young adult. It was called Bug Ya, and that was a very poor acronym for Baker's Home Group for Young Adults. Hey, I met my wife there, so I'm just saying. All the young people said, amen, meet your wife, your child. Good morning. It's always good to be home. You know, it's like, how many remember when you grew up and it was time to leave home? So you go off and eventually after college or whatever you're doing, you own home and you have your own thing. But then you come back home and you get a meal, a home cooked meal and you settle in at mom and dad's. That's what it feels like for Sarah and I and our kids when we're here. It's no place like home. I won't click my heels and that sort of thing, but there's no place like home and love you guys so much. So excited about what the Lord has for all of us at River Life in this next season. If you're new here and I see a lot of new faces, my name's Matthew Bollinger. My wife, Sarah, is right here. She was helping lead worship. And uh, next weekend in 1999, I was ordained as the first youth pastor in this church. And all the young people go, oh, God, he's old. And all the older people said, man, that seems like yesterday. 1999. So, I don't know, around 2006-ish, I moved over an associate role and was around here until 2014. When the Lord invited all of us and we were going to spearhead it, do you want to go be a part of what I'm about to do in Chapel Hill? We said, I think so. (laughs) Yes, Lord, we're going to go. So God's good. They're carrying on. Our associate pastor, Tavitris, is preaching right now. Go T, carry the word. It's awesome what the Lord's doing. So Holy Spirit, come again. Come again, just like you've promised. We love you, Holy Ghost. We welcome you into this place. We ask you to breathe upon your word this morning, God. Amen. Amen. Hey, happy Pentecost. It is Pentecost Sunday. Over 2,000 years ago, the greatest gift that the world has ever been given, God himself in us. The Holy Spirit coming on all flesh, to dwell on all flesh. That is exactly what we celebrate on today. On today. I think it is the promise of the Father. That is the Holy Spirit. And um, I've entitled this message, Breaking Boxes. Breaking Boxes, subtitle, There's an Outpouring of Mercy. Breaking boxes and out of that broken box, if you will, the picture that I'm getting is, a, is, is an, an oil or, or a perfume pouring out. And that perfume has in it mercy. Everybody say mercy. mercy. Tap your neighbor and say, hey, do you need mercy? Tap your other neighbor and say, I sure do. <laughs> I sure do. Because guess what? In order to receive mercy, you have to understand your mission that you need mercy. And this is exactly what's pouring out of this box, I feel, during this season. Even this morning is the extravagant, incredible, scandalous, 
mercy of Jesus. It's being poured out because don't you think those 120 or whatever it was in the upper room, do you think that they didn't need mercy? Oh no, Pete was in there. I know Peter needed some mercy. I'm sure there was one or two others. And that's exactly what the Lord is pouring it out. It's like the woman who broke the alabaster box, right? Of expensive perfume all over Jesus' body. Guess what? The expense has already been paid. The Holy Spirit is breaking our boxes and the perfume pouring out is his mercy. I believe just prophetically that we are in a season of mercy right now. And what I want you to look for is for that mercy to be poured out where you least expect it. That's what God has done in my life. And I bet you there's some other people here as well. That mercy is when you don't get really the judgment and the consequences that you deserve. You don't get it. It's like standing before the judge and the gavel slams on the table and says, not guilty. That's the mercy that our God has purchased for us in his own blood. And I want you to see that there's a new paradigm. There's a new thing that God wants to do in our heads, our hearts, and our spirits. That's going to release mercy in everything that we do. See, because I believe that as we've received mercy, we then can be instruments of mercy. However, in order to give mercy, I have to have received, I have to recognize my need of it in order to give something away. And there's something innovative, there's something new, there's a different perspective that God wants to give to the church right now during this hour. Um, to illustrate that, I just want to share this dream I had about eight weeks ago now. Um, I had a dream, and in the dream, it was, I still haven't completely understood the meaning of it, but in the dream, I was invited by a professor at UNC, Chapel Hill, to teach a summer course on Sun Tzu's book, or Sun, Tzu, Sun Tzu's book, The Art of War. Has anybody ever heard of The Art of War? Raise your hand. Has anybody ever read The Art of War? Okay, a couple people. I had never read The Art of War, just to be honest with you, um, literally. So after the dream, there was a lot of other details to it. I went online and at Jim's advice, I purchased this copy, Understanding Sons of the Art of War. <laughs> and that, that's been very helpful. Um, it includes the, the book itself and then sort of a commentary, if you will, in understanding it. And um, as I was preparing, one of the things that I came across, I was praying about this morning and Pentecost and this, this thing the Lord just wouldn't leave me alone about, about mercy and these new, these new paradigms and these new ways. Um, I came to this illustration and it has to do with the Carolinas. Again, this is the commentator writing on this ancient Chinese work from 2,500 years ago or something like that. And uh, as I come across this, I'm like, Lord, this has a direct application. There's a, a plaque right down the highway here, Highway 21, at the intersection with Langtree, where Langtree turns to go over to Lowe's Corporate. You know where I'm talking about? 
that ties directly into this. And um, so I'm like, the art of war, what does this have to do with anything? What he's illustrating here is this principle of leading to advantage or gaining a strategic advantage. And the Holy Spirit said, Matthew, I want to give my church a new way to see an advantage that I'm turning here for them. Near Spartanburg, South Carolina, there was the Battle of Cowpens. At the Battle of Cowpens on January the 17th, 1781, 800 American soldiers under General Daniel Morgan faced 1,100 British soldiers under Colonel Benastre Tarleton in a battle to control the Carolinas. I want you to hear this spiritually. A battle to control the Carolinas. Now, Tarleton was made infamous in the, 20, or the 2000 movie by Mel Gibson called The Patriot. Anybody see that film? You remember that? It was around the time Judah was born. I remember we went on the 4th of July and saw that movie. And Tarleton was the infantry, cal- or the, the cavalrymen that dressed in their alternative green jackets and was known for his brutality. In fact, his literal nickname was Tarleton the Butcher. Where Highway 21 draws in, I just went by to verify this yesterday. There's one of those history plaques on the side. Does anybody actually read those? (laughs) Not only do I read them, I took a picture of it. I can show it to you on my phone. Sarah is my witness. She was driving. Tarleton, that that butcher, he routed a sizable American militia right there near that plaque at Torrance's Tavern. And slaughtered a bunch of people. Anyway, that's not so important to this, but he's got sort of this reign of terror across North and South Carolina. And uh, in this battle at Cowpens, in the battle, Tarleton's soldiers, remember he's got 1,100 to the American Patriots, 800. They're armed with muskets and bayonets, not just mounted cavalry in this battle, and had an inherent advantage in close combat. Now, only half of the American Colonel Morgan soldiers and therefore one-third of Tarleton's numbers were similarly equipped with muskets and bayonets on that day. So the American militia only had 400 bayonets and muskets to Tarleton's 1,100. The rest of Morgan's soldiers were militiamen armed only with their personal hunting rifles. Those, though more accurate than muskets, Hunting rifles took too long to reload for close combat and did not have bayonets. To compensate for his apparent weakness, the American Colonel Morgan devised a plan to create an advantage for his men under the circumstances that would make the best use of the militia and their rifles. Listen spiritually. Can you hear what God might be trying to say? He's wanting to create an advantage out of an apparent disadvantage. When Tarleton attacked, Morgan's militia soldiers positioned in front of his Continental regulars fired at least one. Everybody say one. Sometimes all it takes is one. 
just one aimed shot at British officers and soldiers as if they were hunting as if they were hunting. It sort of reminds me of the little shepherd boy, David. He's only got a sling. He's got one shot, I would say, before Goliath would be bearing down on him. But guess what? Sun Tzu, I think, was after King David. But there was a strategic advantage that the Holy Spirit shifted in his favor. Just when you think that the battle's lost, thus saith the Lord, he's shifting the advantage in the Carolinas. When Tarleton attacked, okay, when the British closed on them, Morgan's militia retreated behind the musket and bayonet arm line of Continental soldiers to reload. Then something new for a militia, to retreat behind the line. Then re-entered the battle, right? So they run in behind their line of bayonets, reload, and then they come back out into the battle. Now, here's what's interesting in accord with this Morgan's plan. But Tarleton, the British guy, saw the militia's retreat not as a military maneuver to create an American advantage, but as an opportunity to win a decisive British victory in the Carolinas. American militia had always retreated from British assaults in the past and left the battlefield. By Morgan's good fortune, a few of his Continentals also retreated in the confusion of the battle, and this fortuitous advantage actually completed Morgan's deception. Tarleton dispatched cavalry and orders his infantry into a full charge. From out of the smoke, the charging British soldiers encountered an organizing line of America militia and Continental troops. Instead of charging to a British victory, Tarleton soldiers charged into the fields of fire of American muskets and hunting rifles. After the ensuing American volleys, the battle became a decisive victory. Morgan also won with his army intact. Now, ultimately, a leaders, a churches, men such as Morgan must fight the battle themselves. A good military leader finds advantages when his men's efforts deliver victory. And he also inspires his men to use those advantages. Holy Spirit, will you inspire our hearts this morning? Will you take what seems to be evil like COVID? Would you take the, what seems to be destructive like racial tension? Would you take what seems to be a disadvantage and shift it for the glory of God and the kingdom of heaven come to earth now? We need mercy. We need mercy in order to do this. The Holy Spirit is going to release a tactical advantage for this church as we step, hear me, out of the box, breaking boxes. We got to step out of the box of what we're used to and allow him to wage warfare according to the law of his love. We don't fight with muskets and swords anymore. I don't know if you've realized that, but the weapons of our warfare are spiritual. 
not only are they spiritual, they're the opposite spirit of what the devil and his minions try to confront us with. When the media cries judgment, you cry mercy. When the culture yells justice, you release Jesus. When a friend confronts you with hatred, you respond with outrageous love. These are the weapons of our warfare, church. Let us never forget them. Again, it's Pentecost. Look for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that will break all your boxes. And the Holy Spirit will fall on the least likely person in this room. And in your life right now. If you need mercy the most, you're probably the most likely candidate to get a touch from the Holy Spirit today. Be encouraged. Let faith arise in your heart. Remember people like the prophet Gideon who was hiding out in the wine press and the angel of God shows up and says, arise in this valor of yours, you mighty man of warrior. Who are you talking to? That's you. That's you. That's I. That's us. We're standing here with all the weapons of our warfare intact, aimed, loaded. But it's not a warfare like the world fights. It's a warfare of mercy. In Acts, for example, he came and fell on what the Jews thought would be the least likely. Y'all remember that? Who was it? The Samaritans and other Gentiles. They didn't expect this. They, they, they were looking for the Holy Spirit to come in a certain way. And you ever notice how God throughout the scriptures have has a way of breaking every box? Every box. I, this isn't just in the New Testament. Even in the Old Testament, they're looking for X and Y happens. They're looking for God to show up at point A and God's over at point B, C, and D. As one wise person called it, the covenant name of God, Jehovah Sneaky. Have you ever heard of it? Who's had some interactions with Jehovah Sneaky? You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. You can trust Jehovah Sneaky. You really can. He's not out to harm you. But he does sneak up on you with some of the greatest strategic advantages. He came and he fell on the Samaritans. Can we break our boxes. Is your heart prepared for this? Can we break our boxes and get outside our preconceived notions about ourselves, about our movements, about our wineskins? Look for three things, people, places, and situations where the spirit will fall and do so much more. He could fall on people that don't look like you, they don't talk like you. They're not from around here. They don't know what the things that you know. They may not even understand a complete revelation of the scripture yet. But when God's spirit moves, suddenly that soldier is taken from a private and is made the colonel. Is your heart ready for this? I remember years ago, Probably 10 years ago, Bob Jones saying, the leaders of the coming move of God are in the bar right now. I think if you watch around the body of Christ, you can see some of those leaders. 
I've heard them. I was at a conference uh, near a church nearby, I guess within the last year, a year and a half. It was a Randy Clark conference, actually, one of his you know, healing conferences. And this guy was preaching the paint off the wall. I mean, he was preaching with such tremendous revelation. I, it was blowing my mind. I can't believe what this guy was. I mean, it was amazing. And then in the middle of one of his, you know, one of his uh, messages, he started sharing his story. And like three years ago, he was on drugs, strung out, completely lost. And this guy is touring the world with Randy, like destroying the works of the devil. You can't help but be a little bit jealous. I mean, let's be honest. Like me and Marlon's dream and this guy, what? You know, what happens? People just pass you up. It's okay, though, because the mercy of God can keep your heart tender to not have a heart like the older brother. Because why? When the little bro starts running home in all of his mess and smelling like pigs, what does your heart cry? Not judgment. Mercy. Yeah, daddy, mercy. Yeah, let's party for the boy. Mercy. Consider Acts 8. For they, Acts 8, 16, it says, For they and they are the Samaritans had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's good, right? Yeah, we're good. Who's been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus? Born again, believers, saved, moving forward. And we're yet to have the Holy Spirit fall upon them. But as soon as Peter and John arrived, they laid their hands on the Samaritan believers one after another, and the Holy Spirit fell and filled each one of them. See, Peter and John saw a perspective. Now, they were part of a Jewish Christian sect that was not quite there yet. They, they just weren't quite they hadn't quite meet to believe that half-breeds like the Samaritans were spiritual enough, had the right bloodline to be able to be worthy and called to receive the Holy Spirit. We hadn't even, remember Acts 19? We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Did anybody grow up in a church like that? Like Jesus, the Father, but other than like the Apostles' Creed... You know, and I, I, I didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Guess what? If that's you and you're listening this, this morning, even online, you're a perfect candidate. The Holy Spirit's falling on you right now. He's coming. It's good. It's good. Don't, don't worry about it. It's really, really good. It's everything you've dreamed of, actually. And more. We're going we're gonna to hopefully leave some time. Let the Holy Spirit fall on people. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Short history of the Samaritans and Jews. Like I said, they were sort of the country cousins of the Jewish people. You know, they sort of looked down upon uneducated, mostly. Um, they were seen to be the, um, upon return hundreds of years prior from a Syrian exile, they were seen by the, the, the pure Jews, or the, at least the way they saw themselves, as the Samaritans had intermarried with, you know, some really pagan peoples like the Ninevites and such, and uh, therefore were considered impure and unworthy. Now, to be honest, the reality of that is if you came back from Babylon or Syria, 
everybody had intermarried. There, there was probably no exactly pure blood, and that was just the hypocrisy of it all. Lord, mercy, don't let hypocrisy enter my heart. For who do I think that I am? Who do I think I am? I'm a son, I'm a daughter, but Lord, I am a recipient of your mercy. That's who I am. Remember in John 4, the Samaritan woman at the well that Jesus comes to? Jesus, of course, breaks all the boxes. The men-women box, the Jew-Samaritan box, the spiritually immoral Samaritan versus a rabbi box. Nobody does this. The woman was surprised. This is in John 4, 9. I'm just reading some clips The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. See, she was disqualifying herself even from this interaction. Let's don't make that mistake. Often do we do this to ourselves in some way? I'm not really worthy. I'm not like Byron and Becky. I don't have the degree. I haven't been to the ministry school. I don't know the teaching. I haven't heard the whatever it is. No, mercy. Grace says you actually get what you don't deserve. What you don't haven't earned, you freely get anyway. Because that's just how good our father is. Oh, that's good, isn't it? Why are you asking me for a drink? She says to Jesus. And he replied, if only you knew the gift of God. If only you knew. Woo! If only you knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. If only you knew. Do you ever just be out there in the world and you just feel that thing in your spirit? Lord, if only they knew. Lord, if only they knew how good you are. Oh, man. How can I tell them, Lord? How can I tell them to where they'll hear it? How can I tell them to where they'll get it? You know what? Mercy. That's how you tell them. Your eyes reflect what's in your heart. And when mercy's in your heart, your eyes will will say it even without words. You remember, you know, the progressive commercial, the guy with the blue hair walks by and the guy's like, we all see it. We all see it. We all do see it. We all do see it. But when you see it, what does your heart see? Does it see judgment or does it see mercy? Come on. Jump just quick to Acts 8. I already read this, but we're You know, in this portion, it's about three to four years after the Samaritan woman at the well. Remember that. A few years have gone by. It's after Stephen's death 
Philip was led to go down to these Samaritan villages once again. And when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. And as soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers and they received the Holy Spirit. They were willing to break out of their theological boxes and see God's mercy pour out on a whole ethnic group of people. Then in Acts 11, verse 15, it says, as I began to speak, Peter, this is Peter, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he fell on us at the beginning Then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Boxes are an issue. As I said, throughout the scripture, Jesus broke every box. I've just recently in my devotions been reading through the book of Acts. Paul just broke every single rule. Every single box, just time and time and time again. He made his defense, but ultimately they had to imprison him. He still won his case, but ultimately he paid with his life. But what about this issue of what we deserve? Well, let me ask you a question. On the day of Pentecost that we celebrate today, did Peter deserve to be the one who gets up and preaches the message 3,000 conversions, and the rest is history. Did Pete deserve that? I would submit no, because a mere 40-ish days, er, no, 50, sorry, 50-ish days earlier, guess what Peter was saying? GD, I never knew the man. I haven't, I don't know who you're talking about, you know, when Jesus is being led off, and Peter denies him three times. The Bible says he literally curses That's why I just took a little license there to use that. Forgive me. But I believe in his heart, those are similar words that Peter was probably using. Did he deserve then when Holy Spirit comes to be the guy like, come on up. It's your time on the mic. There's no mics back then, but to preach. No, he didn't deserve it. But that's just how merciful our father is. How about Saul? Did he deserve it? Saul knew who he was. He was a murderer of Christians. He pulled men, women, children, kicking and screaming out of their loved ones' arms, out of their houses to go be tortured and many times executed. This is who this man was. Thus, he became the apostle of grace. The very carrier of the mercy of God. James, the brother of Jesus. Remember, they grew up in the same bedroom. Anybody grow up with a brother or sister in the same room? I think this is important. The context is extremely key. James, in fact, didn't even believe in his brother as the Messiah until after the fact. But he wrote this. James 2.12, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Oh, Lord, have mercy. (laughs) 
Because why? Mercy triumphs over judgment. We're in a season of mercy, and I want to play this song for you. Thank God my son's here going, I hope he's not going to sing it. We're going to save your ears, but I want you to listen and read the lyrics. And if you want to sing along, go ahead. We won't tell Gabe. I won't sing on the microphone. But I want you to hear what this, what this, what this captures here. So just crank that up, Jacob. I need mercy. Paul recognized this when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners. inherit the kingdom of God, and it doesn't stop there. And such were some of you. See, I find myself in that list. But what happened? You were washed. You were sanctified. And you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. I'm alive to tell this story, how I've overcome. Because it's his goodness and mercy and the power of the blood. I'm so glad that my freedom wasn't based on what I've done. It's his goodness and mercy and the power of his blood. As a kid, I was a disrespectful, rebellious to my parents. As a teen, I was addicted to porn and drugs. As an adult Christian, I married and divorced and left awake in my trail. And at that point, guess what? I recognized my spiritual poverty and my need of mercy completely broken. 22 years ago, this last month, I would have been the most unlikely person in this room to sit here and preach and to see God do anything. I had been married and divorced. I had a young child, a broken ankle, and was spiritually broken and destitute young man. Like Peter, who at the end of the Gospels had cursed Jesus and died, cursed Jesus three times, I needed mercy, and God poured out his spirit upon me. On a spring Sunday in 1999, the Holy Spirit broke my boxes of what I could do and what he would do through me. Byron had asked a young college student named Sarah Moore, leading the youth group to get volunteers to share a 10-minute version of how they met Christ during the Sunday offerings. Seeing that I was a high school teacher at Mooresville High, she asked me to share. In a really dark place spiritually, I turned down the request twice. Finally, to get her off my back, mostly, at her insistence, I shared on a February or March Sunday in 1999, after sharing my dramatic conversion story, five young men, probably the least likely in the room, off the back row, got up, walked down the aisle, and said, I need mercy. I want to give my life to Jesus. Perhaps they were the most unlikely people in the room to respond to the move of the Holy Spirit today, that day. What followed that day was about a two-year revival of God's love among teenagers at River Life and in the whole Lake Norman area. For me, the least likely candidate to be used, it impassioned me for what an outpouring of the Holy Spirit could revive and stir up, not only in my city, but in my own heart and soul. Once depressed, disillusioned, 
and seemingly afar off from my destiny, a move of the Holy Spirit quickly ushered me back in alignment with my father's plan. He will do that for you today as well. Do you think Peter was surprised? Do you think Saul was surprised when the Holy Spirit falls again? The most unlikely people's room can and will be used by God. Why? Because our father is full of mercy. Be encouraged. Position your heart to be ready. In the most unlikely places, not just here at church on Sunday, but in the most unlikely cities like Chapel Hill, North Carolina, God's heart will fall because of his mercy. The reality is, in closing, none of us would have the outpoured Holy Spirit without first having received mercy. We all are in need of it. Look for God to break your boxes, pour out his spirit on people, places, and situations this year where we least expect it. God is about to surprise the enemy with a tactical advantage that nobody expects. You think the devil got the upper hand with COVID? Wrong. Think again. Our God is up to something greater. He's going to take your slings and make them mighty weapons of warfare. He's going to take your hunting rifles and make them destroy the enemy in a way that we've never seen before. Who wants in on that? Just raise your hands up to heaven. And as we're closing here this morning, if you feel like that broken, depressed, distraught person that I described, I want you to run up here to the front and I want to lay hands on you and see God touch you as we, as we dismiss even because this is a moment that can mark you. I'm an example of that. All right, so raise your hands up. Everybody say this after me. Holy Spirit, I ask you for more. Pour out your love your goodness, and your mercy, God. Come and consume me. Everything that you are, I want all that you have. In your mighty name, amen, amen. Blessings. Come on up, run down here if you want prayer.